You're listening to the Real Estate Radio Hour, the show that brings you unfiltered stories and insight from the Twin Cities real estate world with your hosts, Chris Rooney, broker at REMAX Preferred, and Andy Presky, leader of the Preferred Home Team at REMAX Advantage Plus. Uh, oh. What's up, brother? 2022, baby. We're getting Woo. older. Got kicked out again. I'm living on the lake. Nice. Is that your fish house? We prefer to call it a fishing home. Um, those of us with the uh, with the bedrooms and bathrooms and everything, you know. You know what? Those those things are basically a home. A lot of those fish houses, it's unbelievable what these people have nowadays. Well, you know, it is. And it's actually, I of course, I know the people that know me know I'm joking around. But um, when we come down to the, uh, the actual uh, RV industry, did you know, Chris, that the number one tow-behind RV now is the drop-down cabin that drops on the ice or on the ground? um they put ac on them um so they use them for ice fishing they use them in the summer for a cabin um a lot of people take them up to the rv parks and the in the actual uh you know summer RVing and pretty pretty multifunctional i just saw one on like skis and they just kind of towed around anywhere they wanted to go on the water so go where the fish are just like on a boat yeah, we uh, a lot of times on the old uh, Saturday, Sunday mornings or whatever, if I get up early enough, um, we have that uh, local channel here that covers all the local ice fishing and, and hunting and whatever shows. And um, pretty fun. I mean, just to, it does, they do things that are, you know, twice as far as the normal person would take it, just like in any industry, right? Or anything that, that's out there. And it's a, uh, it's kind of fun to walk them out the different forms of ice fishing houses and just like some of them now are aluminum with sprayed foam on them and they're easy to, you know, tag around even a four wheeler makes it easy. So. Yeah. I'm just not, uh, I've, I was not, I never grew up like that hunting or fishing, never did any of that stuff. So I have to live through people like you, Andrew. But di didn't you kind of, you, you still have a place on the lake. I mean, you could easily have one of those ice houses and call it your office, pull it out on the ice, and not even put a rod in the water, sit out there and just do all your thinking. I have buffalo wild wings for that. I mean, I can't I can't cheat on them. Yeah, well, good point. Since they're a sponsor. It's the anniversary of Nancy Kerrigan and Tanya Harding's uh, little battle. I thought it would be kind of cool to uh, – related to real estate and you agents fighting and how the interest industry is so competitive right now with home buyers. Um, what did you guys think about that when it happened? It was in 1994 on this day. Oh, I, uh, I, that I, first of all, I can't believe it was 1994. That's 20, 28 years ago. That's just crazy. But, um, yeah, that was, a. Uh, uh, interesting thing, but I think that got solved pretty dang quick. Nowadays, nothing gets solved very fast, but at that time, I think they got that, uh, what was it, Jeff Galuli? I, yeah, good memory, man. I think so. Yeah, Galuli, I think it was. Well, so, she, you know, very... she's on uh, that Tanya Harding's on a uh, uh, one of those uh, joke shows on like TBS or whatever it is, and they where they kind of joke around about the top 10 best drunk videos. And they and then they comment on the videos, and she is a really good sport because they they drag her through the mud. Um, anytime there's anything that's kind of that trashy kind of or trailer parky, and then they pull her in, and <laughs> it's funny. Yeah, it's uh, it's a fun little uh, little time. I know we have a lot of those issues uh, in real estate too. But Andy, I don't think you ever sent someone to take a pipe off to somebody and knock out their knee. Uh, those, those, just like we practiced, Chris. Perfect. Um, you're right. I haven't. And I, uh, no, you know what? Over the years, I mean, I've been involved in real estate for 20 some years, whatever. You know, I know you've been like 50 or something, but, um, 
what you do is you, if you, if you're a real estate agent, if you spend your time and, and I think successful agents have always been the ones at research, right? So they spend the time to understand who their competition is. And, and to be honest with you, a lot of people, if you simply ask them from a real estate agent's perspective, you know, okay, so you're interviewing a couple real estate agents. Do you mind if I ask who my competition is? And then a lot of people say, well, yeah, I've got the, the big girl from, uh, not physically, the, the big producer from Edina, for example, and Blaine. And, and then you know who that is. And then you, you know who the other uh, Coldwell Banker Burner or whatever it is. And then, you know, you put, you kind of put your, um, you know what their discount structures are. You know what their uh, rate structures are. You know what to predict. You know what you can do. And each brokerage, this is what's kind of cool about our industry brokerages allow you to flex your muscles in a way that reflect you, you know, from a business perspective, like with Remax, we're very flexible. We do a lot more things than a lot of other brokerages used to be able to do. Um, they were very limited on their um, like commission rates or how they market or how they, you know, versus Remax was very open to of innovating. Um, so that was always an easy one, but you know, when it comes down to like actually attacking, um, you know, the only guy that, you know, people love to attack, and it's not the real estate agents, it's the consumers, are the, the guy that is up on the, the billboards doing this. People love to rip on that guy. And you know what? Hey, God bless them. If people are, if that motivates them to think, hey, that guy will sell more houses because he's on a billboard and he hasn't sold in six years, but that's my guy. Hey, go all power to you. But that's the only, like, bashing I really see that's out there because he's trying to do it different. And I, I you know, I know, I know him very well. Um, over the years, I helped them buy and sell a few properties on the other side of the transaction. Good dude, just doesn't do real estate anymore, just does marketing. So, yeah, and obviously, if people are talking about it, he's doing he's doing something right. Well, look, but, look at me. Uh, I'm talking about it, and it's because it's hard not to. He mm -hmm. literally is infecting everybody in the state. Yeah, yeah, I'll <laughs> tell you, COVID. <laughs> yeah, and when we talk about kind of the rougher stuff. You know, since I've been in the industry, what did you say, 50 years? Uh, 52, if you're actually counting, 50, yeah. 52, yeah. That was, I was pretty young, but I actually was. My mom uh, got into the business when I was one years old. So you you might not be too far off. I wasn't quite licensed yet, but yeah. anyways, the uh, we had, um, there was a lot more craziness that went on back then uh, with people against each other. And I think with social media, you can't get away with it anymore because you would never really hear about it, but you'd hear the war stories in like office meetings where we used to have office meetings all the time. Every Tuesday, you'd go in and uh, try to find out what the heck is going on. And now social media has really taken over uh, on that part, podcasts, all that kind of stuff to be able to um, make sure that people aren't doing that because you can get slammed pretty darn quick in doing it. But yeah, it's been... Uh, it's been a few years since since those days, but boy, there were some people that were just nasty, and they would get away with it. Because and they would get away with it because no one, you know, one person would know it, and then that one person was maybe afraid to say it. Versus all of a sudden sneaking out on social media, and now everyone knows that that guy's that that guy or gal was crazy. Well, right, and I think that there, you know, back in the day when when there were secrets in our industry, and we had to here. And there was all these different things going on with, with uh, how the consumer got their information. There was a lot of different ways to manipulate. Nowadays, it's pretty open. I mean, you can Google somebody, you can look them up, you can see their reviews, you can, um, you know, and, and I think that it's, I, I like the current world we're in because then someone can actually spend the time on their terms and in their environment to, to see if you're a good fit for them. Because, my God, you are technically hiring us as, um, a contractor, employee, whatever you want to say, to do a project for you. And I want to make sure that we match together. On the other hand, maybe you have a tougher project and you need a specialist. You know, you don't want to do a short sale, but you need somebody that's a short sale specialist. Well, you don't have to like each other. You just need to know that they're going to take care of you and your family, right? Or, you know, you're coming off of forbearance and you're like, I don't know what to do. I'm nervous. I don't know how to make the payments. Um, you call somebody that talks about forbearance. You know, it's like, it's one of those things where it's it's not as scary when you have somebody that knows what's going on and how to guide you. So, you know, I, I guess I don't want to say there's no uh, pipes cracking knees out there because I think there is. But I, I think that that's more or less a, a fallacy of our industry and that it's, if anything else, it, it kind of, like I've said before, we self-police and, 
you know, take care of each other too. Well, I do think, uh, I still love that music. I don't know. Might be your heritage. <laughs> there you go. Hey, um, you know, battling. If it battling, don't have bagpipes, it ain't crap. <laughs> battling, uh, what is that? Uh, Mel Gibson, what was that one movie? Uh, Freedom. Oh. Can't remember, but it was, uh, it was a good one. Braveheart. So, Braveheart. How do you not remember that? Braveheart. There you go, Braveheart. I don't know. I'm starting to. I'm starting to forget lots of things. I can't. I can't even speak. I gotta start reading more, hey, or or watching some TV. They have commercials on TV where they have these supplements that you can take that make you sharper with your messaging. I don't know if you've watched those commercials, but they're everywhere. Oh, good. I'm, I'm gonna need that. I'll tell you what. Battling other agents versus working with them. I've always believed in trying to work with other agents. I don't look at agents as competition. I look at them as help. And, you know, with the MLS, that's a, that's means we share, we share with each other. And obviously we have listings and bad mouthing realtors and putting other people down is not a way in which to be able to um, survive long-term in this industry. It does catch up to you. I've seen it catch up to a few people and, uh, and thank goodness it did because you, you start bad mouthing people and, and saying things about them that you don't know, or, or is not true rather than just sticking with what you do and what you do well. Andy mentioned something about uh, testimonials and referrals that go online. And I had one last fall and I asked him, I said, well, how, how did you get my, you know, information there? Did you, someone refer you to me? And they said, yeah, uh, Jen and Shelly did. And I'm like, Jen and Shelly? And I, I'm like, what, what's their last names, you know? And they said, well, no, it was on, on your Zillow reviews. And uh, those two are the people that what, what they said resonated with me. So that was kind of uh, that was kind of interesting. And then I started thinking about it. I'm like, you know what? I've started really doing that now. I kind of go in and try to find everything I can about a testimonial. And I'll tell you, there's no better testimonial than getting testimonials from other people that you're working with, that you're a fair person. And it's just like Andy and I. I mean, Andy and I have been together on this for, I guess, going on 12 years now. And have we ever competed against each other? I don't think we have. We've helped each other and we've referred things back and forth to each other, but um, we've never had I, I don't. I don't think you'd take the things in my price range. <laughs> well, yeah. I, I do require that home sit on a foundation. That is true. Yeah, I actually have this hot model on, on sale right now. Uh, <laughs> But we really, but we really don't, and I think that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Uh, that, it, and most of us don't. There's some that you'll probably constantly run into, like Andy up in, like say Blaine. You might compete against some of the same people a, f a few times, but it's not like it's every listing. And we have a little of that, if say, if, like in Prior Lake, and and if they're looking at two or three agents, I might compete against them more often than I do most people. But I think in general. You definitely want to be able to work with agents uh, versus battling against them. And you got to remember, as a as a seller, you want an agent that gets along with the other agents because there's a lot of agents out there that other agents won't show their listings or promote them as much because they don't want to work with that agent. I agree, Chris. And I think that 100% of what you're talking about is, is the network. And there's also the ability to uh, recognize who has good connections, who has uh, a steady stream of buyers that like to buy in that neighborhood or that, you know, price range. And so, you know, like if all of a sudden I had a buyer and I go to Prior Lake, you'd be the first guy that I would call. And I'd say, hey, listen, this is what I'm looking for, Chris. I got a buyer. Can you help us with something? Um, do I move? And you'll say, you know what? I got two listings and or, you know, who else has you should call this girl or this guy. And then all of a sudden. You and I—that's how we work together. And then in the in the future, you know that I'm going to return that favor and, and help guide you through that process. It makes the consumer experience better. We only, as an industry, benefit when we increase the customer experience to a, a, a new level. Because I think that's the biggest thing: is that Wall Street comes in, provides apps. They've got everybody convinced that Zillow is not a big for-profit company. 
that they're like doing the good of the consumer somehow. And and not that they're they're that bad because somebody has to get you hooked on signing up for a lead, but I'll tell you, or to go see a house. Um, but what, what happens is when you've got people trying to commoditize an industry like real estate, they try to say, well, here's the formula. Here's how much per square foot this area sells for. This is what, and, and they want you to commodify. Here's the thing, guys. If they do that to you, it's going to limit your upside. And you may say, oh, good. Well, we want to control the marketplace. Why? Most wealth is created off of real estate across the country, you guys. Don't kid yourselves. It's not because your employer is going to give you a big bonus when you retire and give you a million-dollar parachute. It doesn't happen. A lot of times people, most of their wealth, the majority of their wealth is created in the real estate holdings that they have. And it's the equity that's gained over the years that's given the small guy a chance to actually play like the big guys. Amen. Yeah. No, I rest, true. Your Honor. Well, and I think, too, you know, this whole industry is relying upon us working together. I had to, my ethics course was due uh, this year. And, of course, I got it done two days before it was done uh, at the end of the year, which is whatever. But uh, they. Say, how many times day. did you fail it? Yeah. Uh, no, I got 100% on the end of the test, just so you wow. know. I know That's after great. that. And I took that over two days. And so I was like, I remembered all of it. But anyways, um, on that, it, it does talk about us realtors and how we have to work together to be able to kind of keep this industry uh, above board versus a slimy type thing. And uh, I think it's just really important that, I mean, to me, that other realtors do really well. And and there is there is bad people in every industry or, or maybe... I don't know if bad. I think there's lack of knowledge. I think that's what I see a lot is lack of knowledge. And, and that's the part that I'm hoping uh, gets better uh, in our industry, that people just know a little more. I think when we, when we start having, you know, contracts signed online and listed agreements signed online, it's really easy to kind of just hit sign, 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 and not understand what the heck you're signing. And that's a that's a scary thing uh, in the industry. And when there's a problem, that's when you find out what you ended up signing at the beginning. It's funny you say that, Chris, because I get called the old man all the time. I say, all right, guys, I know you're busy. and I know you don't have time. Let's sit down and let's – I want to go line by line through this purchase agreement with you guys so that you 100% understand how you're protected, how the buyer, the seller is you know, represented, how everybody's protected. And then, and then let's write the offer in a way that reflects – what your interests are because a lot of people say, well, I didn't know that I couldn't be contingent or that I could have a contingency or that I wanted to make sure that we got that sidewalk fixed and people go, when should I ask for that? And it's too late. It's because you didn't explain your purchase agreement. So I've had some buyers at their own demise say, I'm too busy. I've got three kids. I've got, you know, my husband's busy. I'm busy. Uh, just email, sign it. Well, those are always just, I, I want to say hundred percent, but let's say 95%. Those are 95% of the buyers in the industry have problems when they say they're too busy. This is a big deal and you should take the time um, and give it the proper process. Let somebody with experience explain to you, hey, here's why they ask you this question or here's why they have you fill in this blank so that you can actually have the time to understand the, the motivation behind the question or that, you know, why do they ask this question or why do they ask it this way and say, well, here's an example. And that's exactly what we get paid for. And then, you, and then they go, oh yeah, no, I want to do it the other way then. You know, this agreement, yeah. it changes three or four times. In this in this market, it, it does move fast and you do have to react very quickly. But if you just take the time, even before you ever write an offer, to explain the nuances of, of the things that are actually just written down that you can't change. It's in the standard uh, part of the purchase agreement. And by doing that and explaining that, you only have to explain that once. And then it, all of a sudden it comes down to, uh, earnest money, price, what closing date, what type of financing we're going to do. Is it contingent or not? Are we going to do an inspection or not? Taxes are prorated, making sure that they're paying off their side of the, uh, you know, assessments and and so on. And then it becomes a lot simpler after, after you keep going. So if I had advice for any agent, I would go over the purchase agreement at the very beginning before you even get started, because then you just have that initial meeting. You kind of can, it, it helps you because it shows the yeah. client that you know what the heck you're talking about too. And I'll tell you when that comes into play is when you lose 
two, three different showing or two, two or three different offers, yep. all of a sudden you start questioning, is that realtor any good or does it know? Mm -hmm. Well, you can kind of get past it if you're telling people at, at the beginning, you know, what to expect. So it's very important to kind of go over all that stuff. 100%, Chris. I have it kind of a, a come to Jesus with people before we even go out. Like, listen, you have to have rocket speed on your approvals. You have to have everything ready to go, locked in, deposits ready. You know, and, and so when we write an offer, here's how we're going to react. I want to have an inspector on standby with our concerns so they can get the inspection done quick, easy. Now, you know, you get some inspectors who are, well, I'm out a week and a half. And they're not going to accept that for a contingency then. So you need to find and move at the speed that you need to move in today's market. And I think that'll benefit you the most. Some people are too big and they have too much going on and they can't keep up with you. So that's where maybe they have a teammate or they have somebody else. But, you know, where I always look at that, too, is I say, OK, let's say that you have a real estate agent that has a team. You want to hire them. And, and then they're out. You want to go see more houses. They can afford to give you the time to show you. That's OK. Have somebody else on their team help you, but at the very end, review the contracts with the person with the experience, you know, and know that that experience is being applied to your offers um, because opening the doors isn't what we get paid for. We get paid for our experience. We get paid for our agreement. We get paid for us getting you out of a mess. That's what we get paid for. Um, and, and a lot of times, you know, sadly enough, Chris, you know this, sometimes we don't get paid because it's our job to help that person get out of trouble, which means maybe they don't buy that house. And also, and then they lose their luster for a while. And, and that agent, unfortunately, does not get paid. And, and all their time and effort to do the right thing, you don't get paid. It's kind of weird. But um, I've learned that that investment comes back, you know, three, four fold in the, in the future. And we're going to move on to um, uh, the theme, the, the Tanya Harding, Kerrigan uh, battling each other. Clients. Competing with other home buyers, what have you been seeing, especially uh, recently? I I think people are very touchy nowadays on on both sides of the equation. Buyers, in a sense, that they feel like they have to do everything and give everything to a seller, and sellers feeling that they should get everything, and when they don't get it, they get a little uh, uptight. So it's really kind of uh, it's hard when you get two people that are very, you know, tough and want to get what they want. And then if they don't get what they want, then they try to renegotiate somehow later. And that those are the points that when, when Andy's talking about keeping you out of messes or getting you into messes and all that, it's that experience of knowing what is going on and what can cause problems later. One of the biggest things that can cause problems later is personal property. I'll tell you, and negotiating with personal property is stuff that all of a sudden you don't keep get to keep the curtains in the kid's bedroom turns into, I'm not going to buy your house and this is the worst house ever. And it, it just kind of grows legs on its own and it just takes off. You've had that, haven't you, Andrew? Oh my God. I, I literally hate window treatments. You know, well, Andy, you said the drapes, not the valances or the covers or, and I'm like, okay, I meant the stuff that's around your window. Don't touch it. it. They want that. Well, but you didn't. And I'm like, okay, the ribbons that hold the curtains back, did you take those? Well, yeah, you didn't say they wanted those. I'm like, okay, the best advice I can give anybody thinking of selling their house. If it shows, it goes. Show it the way you want to deliver it to the consumer and you're not going to have any issues. Don't leave the $50,000 worth of window treatments in the house, if you're not going to leave them there, remove them, put in something that's temporary or choose to not have anything up, but get out what you want out. Like I always say, or let's say you have grandpa's handmade um, 1905 chandelier that's, that's been in the family for four generations and you're not going to leave that no matter what. Get it out. And then you don't have to fight, right? So it's like your house isn't worth any more or any less with that in there consumer will think it is because that's part of what makes them fall in love with that house. So get that out of there. They can still fall in love with your house. Yeah. I'll tell you when, when you talk about, you talked about window treatments and your worst enemy, I look at hot tubs, swing sets, uh, deck furniture, grills, uh, lawnmowers. Uh, I mean, all of that kind of stuff are the things that just, go 
drive you well, crazy. Chris, but Chris, it'll be included if it's the right price. What does that mean? So then set your pricing at this price. This includes the hot tub. Don't leave these mysteries out there. Nobody wants an $800,000 million house. They want to know exactly what they're getting. And that makes them more comfortable in making the steps to make that house theirs. So like I always say, be crystal clear. For this price, this, 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 this is included. Everything you saw today is included at that price. They come in and they lowball you. Chris, now what, what can we do with a client when they're when we're the listing agent and somebody lowballs us? And can we pull some of those things out of there? Yeah, right. I'll tell you, it's I I get really into when when sellers are trying to say, well, you know what, we don't want to include this, we don't want to do this. And you know, that's fine if it's movable. But when it's a light fixture, uh, like valances on your windows, things like that, then we have to get them out of there because you, you don't know how much of a problem that creates. As a, as a buyer's walking through it, all of a sudden you're going, oh, yeah, but in this dining room, that fixture's, that fixture's leaving and it's not, it's not staying with the property. It just starts getting in their head what's included, what's not included. And all they're thinking about is what's included, what's not included versus looking at the house the way it is. The simpler you can make it and the more information you can give to somebody, the more likely your house is to sell for a heck of a lot more than, than not. And you, it, people start getting weird about that stuff. You know, going back to one of our, our wonderful, so she, she's passed on now, but I had a wonderful CCO listener that called us a few years ago back when we were still doing our radio thing. And she asked me to sell her house and she was very religious and she had some wonderful things out in her yard. <clears throat> and one of those was a beautiful statue that her family bought her of Mary. And so Mary was there and she said, Oh, it, it helped my sale. It blessed the sale and everything else. Come to closing. Um, she took Mary. And the consumer's like, well, what are you, what are you doing? And then they noticed she took a lot of the other things throughout the yard with her. And I get it, but the fact of the matter is, is that, is it personal property? It is. It's a statue sitting outside. But on the other hand, the consumer thought that they were going to receive that statue. And all of a sudden now we're getting in a fight over a statue. Again, the cleanest way to do an offer, the cleanest way to do a listing is if it shows, it goes. And ask those people saying, hey, listen, if before you take those ornaments out, of these were included. But let's say that you don't, you know, um, want Mary in your yard. You're going to put skateboards in your yard, <laughs> whatever. Um, wine bottles, like like your son. Um, you're going to lay them all over your yard, okay? And those wine bottles uh, and Mary don't mix. But anyway, so if they were going to throw them away anyway, a lot of times sellers will say, you know, or buyers will say, you know what? We didn't want that item anyway. That's okay if you take it, right? And just having open conversations. But the idea that it's included but if you're going to throw it away, I'll take it is a different way to approach it. Yeah, don't like the opposite way is is leaving extra stuff for somebody because they, you think they might like it. That becomes a problem on the other end. And it's just it, it's crazy. Being 100 percent to the to the letter of the law and saying exactly what you think and what you want given and taken is so important in which to do. And don't leave stuff that you think they might like that wasn't included. And, well, and people do that. This happened to me in December. Well, we thought we would leave all of the cans, the paint cans under the stairs for all the different custom paints in the house. And the consumer calls me and they go, well, then can you tell me where we have pink and where we have blue and where we have green in the house? Because right now everything's beige. And there's a bunch of paint cans that don't correlate with anything in the house. Looks like somebody just didn't want to take the stuff to the dump at 10 bucks a can and get rid of it. And it is what it is. I mean, you know, the consumer, I would ask them, I'd say, hey, you know, before we move out, we plan on sweeping the basement. We're going to take all the old cans of paint. We're going to get them out, rid of them all unless you want them. Would you like them to stay? And ask, right? That that's So this is kind of getting to if you're doing a for sale by owner or do you have a real estate agent guiding you? Because that's some of the first things that we ask once the inspection's been removed. My people start moving their stuff out. I'll say, hey, guys, listen, there's a few things, gray areas in the house. There was some extra boards in the garage for the deck. Do you want them or not? No, you don't. Okay, we'll get them removed. Do you want some paint cans? Do you want this? And and I did have that this fall where I in my garage, 
because I had a seller that moved out, didn't have room for him, left a bunch of furniture in the basement, actually very nice furniture and, and didn't want it. And the buyer didn't want it. And so all of a sudden, Andy, the real estate agent's putting furniture in his truck on a Tuesday afternoon before closing to get it out of there because nobody wanted to move it. All right. Hey, Andy, um, Mary and wine. What about Jesus? He turned water into wine. So I think it's okay. I agree. I think you, I would love to see your eclectic collection of Mary statues, Jesus statues and bottles of wine. I, I think that'll look very nice. Hey, so we got Andy's analogy. So let's talk about competing for the best home in the neighborhood. Is it worth it? Should you strive to do it, et cetera? You know, I guess competing for the best home in the neighborhood, there's, you know, three options and there's a good, better, and best, right? Is it worth it to spend a little bit more to get the best location in the neighborhood? On paper, no. It's not. It's better to get the, the lowest price house in the neighborhood with the biggest square footage. That's on paper. But when you put into the human element of, you know, like for an example, hey, uh, future resaleability. Now you go to a different market where not everything sells in, in a week. Let's say we go to a market where it takes two months to sell a house and the nicest lot with the best location with the best sometimes outweighs the the better price. And you'll you'll have somebody that will buy that house because it's more of a home to them. And that's where they want to live versus getting a better deal and living down the street with power lines in the backyard and three stoplights or something that they're looking at, you know, so it, it does go into that equation, I think for sure. Did I answer your question? I'm sorry. Oh, oh, sorry. I didn't hit my mute button, but um, I, I also think that sometimes having the best home in the neighborhood isn't always um like I'm, I'm, I'm paying the highest and people always think that that's the problem, but sometimes in neighborhoods, which we have, is that it's a neighborhood that might've been built in the early, late eighties, early nineties. And there might be a house that's priced at, let's just say 800. And most of the other neighbor, most of the neighborhood is between 650 and seven and a quarter. Now you got something that's priced at 800, but they've come in and done all of the upgrades that they needed to do. So you're good for the next 30 years, such as windows, siding, roof, uh, maybe updating some bathrooms, uh, different things like that. Maybe added some hardwood floors and really did a renovation project. Now you're paying 800 versus going to another one of those homes that haven't done it at 725. And now all of a sudden you're adding 300,000 in you're going to be into a million. Sure, you only said you paid seven and a quarter, but I mean, who got the better deal there? So yeah. you have to kind of look at it from that standpoint as well, mm -hmm. is that some of these areas are going to get to that next level once everyone else starts upgrading their house to be able to make it there. And you might beat them there and it might be a really good deal. So you might be looking at a neighborhood and saying, geez, how can they get 800 in that neighborhood? But if you really kind of dive into it, and if the realtor is doing their job, they're almost getting them a better deal for the long run because they don't have to do any of those things that the other people have to do. I agree. You know, Chris, and, and being able to identify neighborhoods is, is a very localized thing where you see, like, for an example, a neighborhood where, like, my neighborhood is starting to do this, where, you know, the, the first, you know, uh, new home buyers bought the houses, raised their kids, kids are off to college, now they're starting to sell their houses. And there's new young families moving in. And, and, but are the houses renovated? Are they updated? So that's, you know, I think there's, there's a lot of factors that go into it. Price being the most expensive house is a whole different conversation. You know, if you have a 12,000 square foot mansion on the lake at the end of the street and everybody else is 250,000 up the, up the way, that, that's a different conversation than if we're talking about like all the houses were built by the same builder. They're just different floor plans, same quality level, you know, same era. And so there's, those are the factors we're talking about. Computer algorithms really struggle with you guys figuring that stuff out. That's why they can't, um, a lot of times they have to do a factor. Like some of these online evaluators will say, here's the range. And you're like, well, they're off by 40,000. That's because they don't know how to put that algorithm into there. They don't know how to say, hey, this builder is a $5,000 straight out of the chute, more expensive builder per house than this other builder down the street. They don't know do that they don't know that the trim is valued it's real maple trim versus mdf painted garbage you know or whatever it is and and so that's what comes into 
And we, we keep talking about real estate professionals. This is why I think the real estate agent will never go away. Um, you know, our jobs will change. The way we're paid will change. But having somebody that's a localized professional that helps you identify your value, like Chris is talking about, think about that. This guy's a genius. He knows how to tell you, hey, look at this. You're going to save 200 grand by going with this house that's more expensive than the other house. That's what a professional does. That's what you need. The That's what you actually are paying somebody to do, not just write an offer, open up doors. Yeah, that should have been my analogy. <laughs> that is, that's actually really good. It is true. You, you don't pay people just to open up doors. You pay them to represent you and to help you. And, and that's the same thing when you go into a listing. If you just do everything that the seller tells you to do, I mean, you shouldn't get paid. You shouldn't get paid as much. Do you, do you know uh, how many times, Chris, we do this where um, you and I are, are, I don't know if this happens with you too, but it happens with us in the North Metro a lot, where people will literally call us and say, oh, yeah, um, you know, hey, we're, we're looking for the listing agent. We, I think we want to write an offer on your house. And they're like, oh, okay, I've never met you before, but sure. Um, first question, are you anybody? No. And I go, well, how do you know you want to write an offer on our house? Well, I had one of the Zillow agents show it to me last week. And then I had a, a Redfin agent show me the week before that. And I think we're, we like your house the best. And so we're ready to write an offer. Could you put the deal together for us? I'm like, what? Talking about being door openers, that's the biggest fear that I have with these commodity style websites like Zillow and Redfin and whatever they don't charge you anything to open up the doors. So people call them because they know that they're the rookies in the industry a lot of times. No offense to those that are not, but there's a lot of times they're the rookies in the industry that, you know, baby bird fed customer traffic, and they just hope that you might want to buy it. And it, it blows because you get into procuring costs. There's all kinds of challenges with that because I don't actually look at that as, I look at who showed that house first. Who's the procuring cause? Then it causes a problem for me on the ethics, which you just went through, ethics training, right? And then you get back to where, who is truly the reason why they bought that house? Did the agent follow up? Did the agent help me buy that house? Did they help them convince them by showing them other properties that this was the best value? And then, you know, so it's an interesting thing because I think there's people that are out there. I'll use these freebies, the free showings. And then when I go to write the deal, I'm going to go right to the listing agent because I'm going to save money or I'm going to get a better deal. And the honest to God's truth is you're not going to get any better of a deal. You're just going to not be represented because most of the time the seller's agent will not represent you as a buyer. Um, they'll facilitate you. And so it's kind of a dual agency, but it's really not. I want to have one more example of the best home in the neighborhood versus the worst home in the neighborhood. And I think this, this happens to a lot of people that are on the fringe. So if I'm a $800,000 buyer, mm -hmm. do I go in that 650 to 750 neighborhood or do I try to get into that million dollar neighborhood? And, and the mentality of it is, okay, well, you have to, you have to know this. I mean, in general, in real estate, if I'm trying to get into the million dollar neighborhood and I'm at 800, that house really might be 750 and it's 800 because it's in this neighborhood. Okay. Now on the other side, Yep. If I'm in this other neighborhood that says it's 800 and I'm trying to get, it's in this 650 to 725 thing, that might really be a $900,000 house. So you're really trading, hey, is it 900 for 750? And now you're saying, is the area worth 150,000 to me? And a lot of people, I'm starting to see that they like the nicer house in the lesser neighborhood. They want to be a little higher up and, oh, you got the nicest house in the neighborhood. That's where all the kids, that's where all the kids uh, want to hang out and play and, and do all that. And there's, there's a value to that. So I think that's um, just like zip codes, uh, right? I mean, my, school districts, whatever there, there, there are, you know, some school districts around the twin, you know, command another $50,000 for the same square foot. That would be, you know, three blocks to the East or the West where they're not in that zip code. And, and it does it. So those, those factors go into the quality of life where people are willing to pay more you know, and hence the, the problem we're having right now with housing. Housing's not going crazy because it's a good economy or because there's a great, you know, value of I'm making too much money to what my, my house costs. It's a supply and demand issue right now. It's it's just, there's not enough people throwing their houses up for sale. And so people are going in, they're going, I'm so tired of looking for a house. Offer a hundred grand more, offer 50,000 more, or offer no contingencies. We just want to get into a house. And that's what's giving the, the normal seller this false sense of, oh, I'm in a neighborhood. I've got this house that's worth a billion dollars. And it's not. It's they got found a buyer that was so desperate and had the financial means 
to make a stupid offer, in my opinion, excuse my French to those that made offers, but I think there's a lot of stupid offers being made right now that are way ahead. Markets should appreciate at 3 to 4%. That's what raises are. That's what everything. Otherwise, when we get out of whack, houses go to here, guess what? And we're at 0% interest rates. We get into a position where houses have to come down in value, guys, because people can't afford them. If the average consumer affords a $2,000 house payment and they're making this much money and they got a 3% raise and then they get this, so now they can go to 2050 Well, guess what? Houses can't get Unless your career changes, your lifestyle changes, you get a windfall of cash from winning something or inheriting something, your situation is the same. It just, I don't know, they correlate together as they go up. Wow. What is the craziest home home battles you guys have partaken in with clients? Uh, well, like us against a client. Um, I don't, uh, I don't really, I don't really battle that way, but I, no, I no, no clients like competing with other clients to, to buy a home. Oh boy. You know, I had a, I had a, I had a great one, just had a great one. Um, this last year and it was i mean right in the middle of this in in march of 2021 yeah i think it was last year it might have been the year before but um during the the crazy crazy part of it and you know every every showing can last 15 minutes and it's booked the whole time through the whole weekend and then you had an open house and a ton of people there i had um 38 offers on a place and I had one person come up to me because I I ended up going to the open house to try to just maintain traffic so people weren't just coming into the house constantly. I had an agent inside the house to be able to show people around, but it was like a line of 15 sets of people all the, the whole time that we were doing it. And uh, so I'm sitting there and they, you know, I'm talking to them and just kind of having a fun time and and one person comes up to me and they said, so are you the listing agent? And I said, yes, I am. And they said, well, I just want you to know that we have an agent and this is her name and we're going to make an offer, but you basically, you just tell us what you want and we will pay it. And I just want you to know that right now. And I said, well, you can't, <laughs> you can't be telling me that stuff. She goes, no, we want it. Well, it turns out they had lost 15 times before, 15. But here's the problem. And Andy was kind of hitting on it, and I wanted to kind of add on to it. And it, it, I'm glad it, it jumps into this story because there's outliers in this in this market that all of a sudden that you find someone that's lost 15 times, willing to pay anything, and they paid a lot for it. And now all of a sudden that becomes one of your comps. And then what sellers, sellers will try to do is like, well, boy, that one sold for 500000 or all these other ones sold for four hundred. I think mine is worth close to 500 and that's just not the case. It does help for appraisal purposes, but sometimes you get those that people go crazy. Like Andy said, you, they lose it and you have to, uh, that's where these housing battles really come in. And, it, and it's kind of fun to be part of them, but you never know which kind of house that it's going to happen with because you don't know the situation of the buyers that are looking at it or their past situations and whether they've lost or not. That's why sometimes all of a sudden you get maybe three offers. We had another one that we had three offers on a property. One person paid full price, one paid under, and another one paid 45000 over. And it's like, hallelujah. But, you know, but see, Chris, that's, that's your job. Your job as an agent is to find that 45000 over, remove contingencies, give your seller the most amount of money possible. And you, you and I both know that. And so... This market has, has favored the good marketers because there's properties that list and get nothing and they sit and sit and sit and then they barely get list price. And then there's other properties where you see 100 cars in two days and there's 40 offers and multiple craziness and, and, and it sells for cash. The difference, you guys, between marketing and not marketing a property properly, and I, I'm not you know trying to brag on Chris's behalf because I've already done that three times this show, which he's done none to me, but it's okay. Four times, four times. All right, you you can give some love back whenever you're ready. Um, the um the I said you were I said you were right one time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you. That was very nice of you. Um, the um the 
reality is when you hey see that's when we were happy fat and sassy and ready to jump off the dock look at that no long story short my beard wasn't quite as full then it is now the craziest stories i think that what i can't believe is that in an economy th this is where you have people that are certain ages in life right they're at certain stages of life where they they're established and they have money and they have assets and they can't wait to retire. They want to retire now. They're ready. They have the money. But the replacement house, like the one behind me, I just want a little cabin on the lake, one bedroom, one bath with a one-car garage and a place for my boat, and I'm happy. They don't exist. And, and, and they're not 100000 anymore. They're seven fifty. And so now what happens is these people's versions or their, their plan is disrupted because now their retirement house is nowhere near what they thought it was going to be for price. And they're, they're upset about it. So they say, I'm not going to move then. And that clogs the system. There's a ton of these empty nesters that are not moving, the baby boomers, whatever you want to call it. They're living in their big houses. They're still buying cars. They're still buying houses. Some of them are still working in a good way. But it's just, it is what it is. They, they realize that they can't live the American dream right now. There's, I'm saying that there's a clog at the system. And, and until we figure that out, you know, like, hey, are people just going to live in these houses and rent them out? Are they going to, you know, not downsize? Are they going to go to apartments? Or are they going to live in a million-dollar house until the day they go to a retirement home or, or center, you know, or senior living apartment or whatever? And then that market, then the house becomes available. But what I would say to the consumer that's out there right now, I think you're going to see a flat year. So if you thought your house last year was worth 800 it's not in this year. I don't think it's going to be 900 I think it might go for 805 or 810 and I think the market's starting to calm on, on the on the in the trenches. I'm seeing where showings aren't as prevalent. Um, there's not as many people as there was a year ago or even six months ago. They're still there. It's still a great housing market, and it's going to be a great housing market. It's just going to be at a different pace. Yeah, I don't I don't know how you could put up with that that pace that we were on. Wow, look at those guys. Jeez. Can we look we, just the we same, really did look. We really do look old compared to five years ago. That is holy crap. crap. That's, that's only five years ago. Wow. It's 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 the lighting. I think. Yeah. We we just don't have good lighting right now. Hey, you know, um, are we going to do any of our this today? It's unprofessional. Are we doing any of our TikTok videos that we make fun of again? I think they're coming. Man, listen. Man, did listen. you know that Bolt you know was considering the revival of the $1 Homes program? Wait, what? That's right. Not only can you buy lottery tickets for a dollar, but now you might be able to buy homes too. Baltimore City Council President Nick Mosby wants to make city-owned vacant Baltimore homes available for a two-year lease costing one whole raggedy doll. Potential buyers would lease vacant homes, rehab them with a 10 to $25,000 grant. And if the rehab passes muster, the title would be transferred over outright. Mosby is proposing that eligible residents must have lived in Baltimore for Okay, so I did this one because this happens in Italy a lot, like the $1 homes that turn into 100,000 euros because all the different things. Um, have we seen this much in um, the USA? Like this sort of program has ever happened in Minnesota? And is it as good as it looks? What was that? Chris, what was that? Uh, the girl that we had on our show, the, uh, the, the, uh, Nicole, know. Uh, Nicole something? Yeah, um, from Rehab Addict. Curtis. Yeah. Nicole Curtis. Nicole Curtis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to. I just was old man brain need those pills they advertise on tv um the uh the, but she does that she'll go in and buy those houses for five dollars ten dollars in areas that the city wants to get rid of those homes you know maybe they were originally foreclosed they're vacant they're abandoned whatever nobody wants them the city owns them and the city doesn't want to have just lots they'd rather have homeowners and so they do offer those properties and i'd say the biggest thing about that is if somebody's in a neighborhood where they find out the neighborhood and they want to rehab the house and go through that process i think it's a cool product and 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 then they even help the person out because they probably can't get financing so they give them a ten thousand dollar grant to get them started i think that's a little bit light on a rehab but at least it's enough you know and uh, uh some of the windows fixed and and get it where you can start fixing it up yeah cool. the, the thought the thought behind it is 
is that if they sell that house for a dollar, it, it's not going to decrease all the other houses because someone's going to come in and fix it up. So all of a sudden, if you have, if you're in a, on a street and there's six houses that are dilapidated and, and have nothing to do with it, it's going to take down all the prices of the other houses, right. thus take down your, your tax uh, money that you're going to end up getting. And then people are going to flee from there. So it's right. kind of <clears throat> one of those things that, Hey, nobody's paying taxes on this property. <clears throat> no one's going to buy it. We're going to have to tear it down. At least let's just give it to someone, see if they can fix it up, and then start paying us property taxes as well. Yeah, because the key, I think she said there was, it's a two-year lease. And and then at the end, if it appraises or whatever, um, they will transfer the deed of ownership, you know, or whatever. Then then that person's getting that house, and they probably... I, that's the fine print that we're not seeing. So you lease it for a dollar. So basically you have no carrying costs to rehab that. But what is the transfer rate? You probably have to pay back all the money that was granted. You probably have to pay back the, you know, and then there's rules. It's always, like we always say, there's a pigeonhole that you're trying to hit. Um, price, you can't make too much money. You can't make too little money. You know, that's okay. That's, that's the thing. They're, they use a huge program in Italy where you can buy one euro homes and it turned into like, 80,000 euros and you totally re-updated. You had to live there for a certain amount of time. There's always something in the fine print. <laughs> I love that guy. Okay. Yeah. I have so many agents that are like, I, uh, I'm just struggling to get my business off the ground. And you look at him and you go, you didn't work yesterday. You got up and you went to the gym and then you went and you played golf with your friends. You went to lunch and you didn't work in open house. You didn't call anybody. You didn't spend any, you know, time out in the field. I go, the, the, what is it? The Manning's father has one of the best analogies of, of saying, find out what you're Our good team. at, focus on that and spend yeah. the most amount of time on that. Right. It's something like that. But focus on what you're good at. If you're not good at the dollar producing activities in this industry, you should probably join a team. And I'm not saying that to be a jerk, to be honest with you. Is that because if you're not good at all of the things, real estate, you're really an entrepreneur. You're not a salesperson. You have to know how to do accounting. You have to know how to do marketing. You have to know how to negotiate on sales. You have to know contract law. You have to, know, I mean, there's so many different things that go into um, being a, an, an entrepreneur, if you will. And in real estate, and in, in, this guy's right. Did you put in eight hours today? I, I'd say that's the number one failure is most people get in this business thinking it's easy money. Hey, I got a buddy that wants to buy a million dollar house. I'll make a big commission. I don't have to work the rest of the year. And that's, it's just not true. It's just, it's, I hate to say it, but it's not true. Um, unless you go live in Brazil and spend $20. Yeah, but maybe they only pay a half a percent commission down there. Cause it's so cheap. Well, it's so cheap yeah. to live down here. Oh, we have no expenses. Oh, it's beautiful. <laughs> I just, um, I'm contacting a Remax agent here and she had a sign close to my place. So hopefully she speaks English and maybe we can get her on. I would, I would think Nick, that'd be the coolest thing we could do. What a fun way to expose ourselves to a different market too, right? You are here. You get to see the insider view of like, maybe people want to move to Brazil. You know, I've got an uncle that uh, just moved down there and he rents a place. He's trying to figure out how he wants. And I don't think he lives too far from you, by the way, um, down there. And he's checking it out. He's like, hey, I've lived all over the world. I've lived, you know, and, and he goes, I want to try Brazil. And he loves it. Um, you know, a little third world than he's used to, but, you know, but it's nice. <laughs> Don't mind me just watching. Oh my God. Um, have you had that? I, we just said the same thing. I, won't I said, do oh my God. Yeah, I, I said, there's no you reason. Did that we both I literally will say, hey, you find me the buyer, I'll give you a discount on the house. There's no reason that we both spend our time, invest our time here today. Why don't you do the open house? I'll go out and I'll do something else. I've never, the only time I've had that happen is when I have, um, when I've sold apartment buildings. Where they're like four unit apartments and the the tenants um, don't leave, they, but they're like, yeah, you can show my place, no problem. Where I've had it is that the seller comes once there's a bunch of people that are in the house, they'll come in and start walking around. 
acting like yeah. a buyer and you can't really say anything. And right. So it's, it's, but it's very uncomfortable. Well, um, I'm doing that. But they're, Chris, they're just doing it to see, Hey, what are people saying about my house? And they, they think, you know, and I, I don't disagree with this. I think that they would feel that we would sugarcoat what they're actually saying to them because they're, they are our client. Um, and we would, we, and they don't want it. They want the straight, Oh my God, who'd pick those drapes? What up? You know, what are they blind? <laughs> how about how about the neighbor that comes to the open house and is the know-it-all, knows everything about everything, oh. and starts trying to sell them on it? It's hilarious. Dude, pray, pray to homes, we get that quite frequently. What the? Totally. I'd never pay this for a house, boy. This is overpriced. Why would you use those materials? They're from China. You know, China's going to take over. You know, and and I'm like, listen, why don't you go outside and talk to the street post because they're more interested than I am. Got nothing in my brain. Got nothing in my brain. I think that's up to I think that's up to uh, individuals. I really do. Um, I don't think. I mean, obviously, it's probably been proven a million times that uh, buying a place is probably smarter. But in some cases, you know, people renting, not knowing where they're going to be, it's a lot easier to get in and out um, of something. I mean, obviously, if you bought a house and a month later you had to sell it and you had to have a realtor do it, you might not be making uh, a ton of money. It might cost you a lot more than if you would have rented for one month. Well, there's homeownership programs. There's things to protect you as a homeowner there's as a renter other than the law. And, and so, you know, like if you're a homeowner, your payments are the same for 30 years. And after the 30 years, they give you the house. They don't do that with rentals. And so, you know, but people, oh, but the cost of a rental. And I go, you, right now, you look at some of these houses, what you pay, and you know you get a, a three hundred thousand dollar house with everything, in, and you're let's say you're at fourteen, fifteen hundred bucks a month with everything in. You'd rent that house for twenty two hundred bucks a month, and, and and that's forever. That's not going down. And then you say, oh well, but it costs money to maintain. How many people live in rentals where they say, oh God, that floor squeaked for seven years, or the door doesn't shut or lock, or the the trees are dead in the back and they don't fix them? Guess what? You as a homeownership have homeownership pride. That's where there's pride in ownership. And people won't let their asset, you know, like, so when you're an owner, you think differently than you are when you're a renter, a landlord. And that, that, okay. We all have a place in this world. It's just, you know. Uh, this next one is like a marketing thing. I want to hear your reactions on it. La, 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 la. I really like your body. I really like your body. I love it. I, I, I was just saying I would love to uh, do that. I mean, just creating that video, though, probably took about eight months. I mean, it really did because you had to get that before and then the after. So there's a lot of work to it, but it looks that looks pretty, pretty darn cool. Now, you can do stuff with that with renderings nowadays. Mm -hmm. And... Uh, I'm going to be doing a property here real soon. I've almost got the plan finished. And then I've got all of the details that I want to go in this house. And then someone's going to do a computer generated rendering for me inside and out. And I'm going to try to market it that way uh, versus waiting for it to all be completed and done just because people can't visualize. And so, yeah, I, I think that's fantastic. And Andrew, is that your TikTok video? Yeah, it was my first. I me seven months no you know what chris though i agree with you i i think that it's uh but but now so this is my brain so were they advertising contractor services were they advertising remodeling services you know i mean that's where my head goes so i'm like i, I don't think the message was clear other than hey cool house and then i missed the tag at the end where it says call us if you want to flip your first house call us if you want to flip a house call us if you you know want guidance or you want to help finding houses you can flip those are all, you know, different services, of course. But at the end of the day, it, it was a beautiful. People appreciate pretty things. Or that's why, you know, absolutely taking off. And Facebook's kind of getting left by the wayside. People love photos. They love the visual. And they love to be entertained. A couple comments. is uh, And fast. That, um, 
obviously the flip took a time and they showed it from the beginning to the end but that kind of video i think takes uh an hour like i started learning how to do the reels like that and it's not that complicated actually you'd be surprised they're just uh the, pe the people that say that to you that oh it's gonna take this amount of time they're just taking advantage of your guys's uh boomerness that don't understand the technology nowadays i agree and don't want to understand it because they're doing other things too so well, i think that's another that? thing people want you to do they think you can do all this stuff but you don't have time to do it you'd rather pay someone in which to do it instead well that that and the um the fact that you know if you um what chris about the amount of time it's not the amount of time to make the clip it was the amount of time that you have to go back to the house 10 times as the photos are as the progress is being made and contractors are not readily available right now, so it takes longer. That's more, I think, what yeah. you guys are saying the same thing, but just we're gonna we're gonna wrap it up today. We didn't get to the fight, the fight over a listing, so you guys don't have to go at each other's throats. But um, make sure to subscribe, uh, uh, leave us a review on iTunes, uh, on Facebook. We post three digestible clips a week. Send in your questions uh, through email or through our Facebook. Have a wonderful day and ciao. Happy New Year! <laughs> Thanks for joining us this week on the Real Estate Radio Hour. Don't forget to visit our website, realestateradiohour.com, where you can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or your preferred podcast listening app. If you enjoyed today's episode, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes or sharing us with a friend. Until next time, stay awesome, Twin Cities.